0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the fateful and for the fateful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce.
1: Hey, David. How are you doing today?
0: (laughs) The Bruce puts a smile on your face. That's good. I think just like the YouTube comments, people seem to react to that as well. So, Mm -hmm. Well, that started, but anyway.
1: Good or, ba- good or bad, they respond. I've uh, seen Bruce. a couple, co- yeah. couple of...
0: Uh... So, Bruce, we got some uh, breaking news today. Mm. Has signed oh. with the Edmonton Oilers. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Ethan Bear's parting comments as he leaves Edmonton. We will talk about the big boy's bomb, which is about to hit the Edmonton Oilers. And we'll talk about the Derek Ryan signing. That's kind of leftover business. Plus, we'll dig into a little bit of a rumour that came up that uh, uh, had Oilers fans a Twitter on Twitter and other places yesterday. Korpisalo for Koskinen Plus was the rumour. We'll dig into that. What do you think of the Fogel signing, Bruce? Three years, $2.75 million. What's your take?
1: Well... I guess if you're going to upgrade. You have to expect to pay for it. Uh, I mean, this is a sort of a contract range that the Oilers haven't really been exploring in recent years. They've either had great big contracts at the top end, or uh, a lot of ones, you know, in the in the one one to two million dollar range, or even the seven hundred thousand to to uh, one point five million dollar range. Really, a lot of them. Uh, but it seems to be fairly commensurate with uh, the game that Fogel brings. I mean, he's uh, 25 years old. He's presumably still getting better. You know, certainly his statistical profile says he is. Three three goals, three goals, seasons already of double-digit goals and not at all pumped up by power play or, you know, playing on the Sebastian Ajo, Toivu Terravinen line or anything like that. Like, he's a... Middle six uh, grinder and and uh, gets results and so the Oilers will lock the guy up at a reasonable cost. I mean, one way to look at it is that he's making uh, less than half of what the Oilers previously paid Milan Lucic or James Neal to do a job as a you know more or less three left wing. So uh, and he's younger and. Improving and arguably better than those guys already. In fact, I'd say it's not even that arguable. I'd say he is better than those guys already and he's going to help.
0: He he has scored at um, the rate of a second-line winger in the NHL for the last two seasons, Bruce. He's, he's averaged uh, about 1.8 points per 60, which is a fairly good rate of scoring at even strength. Especially as you say, I didn't know that. That I hadn't dug into this player too much. I haven't written about him yet. That he didn't. I didn't understand that he had not gotten much time with their top attackers, Aho and Tarasovin in, in in Carolina. So that's that's even better. Um, you know, it's significantly better than most players on the Oilers, most wingers on the Oilers. And I I, I was hoping that he wouldn't sign like like. Uh, let's look at the Puljujarvi contract. Um, it was good. For instance, that was two years, right? Because um, yeah. if he had had the year that he just had, he'd be signing for considerably more right now. And I like that, where you cover yourself on a player like this. He's 25 years old. He's If he's going to be a good NHL player, good NHL winger, these are the years for a player like this. You know, a somewhat physical yep. player uh, drives the net. Uh, this is the moment where you're going to, if you're going to make a bet on him as an NHLer, this is exactly the time. So if you just sign him for one year, um, let's say they got him one year at two million dollars a year, one point nine million or one point five or whatever it might be. Um, probably it would be more than that, but they, they would just the second he has steps up is he's, he's a bet, good bet to do or at least be as good as he's been. You're going to have to pay more. And um, now they're, they're, they're paying a bit more in the first year than they would have paid, I think, for, for this player. But if he steps up and has a big year, let's say 20 goals and 20 assists, something like that, um, then they're covered. And that's yeah. not out of the question for this player, 20 goals and 20 assists. And, a, and, if it, and if he's part of a team that goes deep in the playoffs as well, which is a, also a possibility, then, then costs really start to go up. We're seeing with Darnell Nurse, for instance, how quickly things can escalate. For, uh, for players in certain, <coughs> certain pay categories.
1: Oh, we so, never. yeah,
0: he may, you know, there might be a nine at the front of his contract versus well,
1: everybody else's. So,
0: yeah, so
1: I, I mean, I can't believe some of the stuff I'm seeing.
0: I guess and we could talk about that track. too.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So, Fogel is a good, I like that. The <laughs> three years here, I think this is a good bet. This isn't a lot, I would say a lot of Holland's moves this summer have been kind of 50 50 bets, which I don't think are good enough for for an NHL GM to make a, a constant series of 50-50 bets uh, that's not good enough. You got to you got to make these 75 80% bets. And this is this is in that category. I, I I quite like this move.
1: Meaning the contract as opposed to the trade that brought the guy here that cost Ethan Bear or are you talking about specifically the contract they've signed? This contract.
0: Right. The contract and the contracts are always different than the player, right? Like yes. the player's performance. 100%. 100%. Then then there's then then there's how much yeah then there's does it merit the cap hit that he gets which is a whole different issue because a guy who gets forty forty points and earns eleven million dollars a year is different than gets forty points and earns two million dollars a year so I'm saying that this this contract looks like an eighty percent bet to kind of work out and that's I think it's a that's good work by Ken Holland I, I like it
1: yeah I just looked up his teammates by the way in Carolina just to. Proved to myself I wasn't talking through my hat and uh, his most common lineman was Jordan Stahl uh, who he played two-thirds of his time with and and the other wing was split between uh, Jordan Martinuk and Brock McGinn so you know middle six good players those guys are all good players but they're you know none of them are as a star
0: really None of them is a scorer, so that's even more encouraging to me. Actually, when I hear those names, I mean they're they're decent players, but none of them are strong offensive players anymore. So, hey, Bruce, was there just just before we move on? Was there? Did you want to make a correction on what was it that you wanted? To, was it the Koskinen thing? You, you remember we were talking the other day where you got you you mentioned to me that you had gotten some. Oh, it was um the buyout. Whether mm-hmm. Koskinen could be oh. sent to the miners. Mm-hmm and you yeah, were suggesting I, you were I debating whether it. this totally was a brilliant idea it. or not and i was thinking are you sure you can do this and now now you're sure that they can't so why are yeah. you sure they can't bury Koskinen's contract to get under the cap at the start of the year
1: speaking of talking out of my hat um uh which is a polite way of saying talking out of my ass uh i was uh uh grasping at things mid-podcast as opposed to thinking them through which is generally a mistake uh the idea of burying a uh, michael and the miners uh for a day and then bringing him back they can only bury 1.125 million dollars which in the case of Koskinen is exactly 25 percent of his cap hit but that's all they can bury so it's not like they can do a dollar for dollar exchange any any big contract they send to the miners the maximum they can they can uh, bury at the mining oh, no. level is uh is <clears throat> NHL minimum plus 375 and the minimum now is 750 so 1.125 is a magic number for the next two years of how, how much can be buried of any contracts. Just like they sent Kyle Turris down, they're still going to have to eat 525,000 of his cap hit. And even if it's a short term thing you have to follow those same rules. So my so, so nifty get, get around This is, this is kindergarten stuff and I'm kind of embarrassed but I just messed it up.
0: So that's for any NHL team that's the rule. So just yes. it's, yeah, the yeah, most you can the most you can send to the farm at any one moment to get under the mm-hmm. become cap compliant is 1.25 billion 1.125 One
1: point one point two five. okay yeah, it's well, I mean there's been teams that gotten around it. You remember the infamous Wade Redden debacle where the New York Rangers sent him down to the minors and just left him there forever to get rid of his big cap hit and at the CBA of 2012 I think they dealt with that because it, it really left Wade Redden no no path out no path back to the NHL so they set a an upper limit of how much can be buried and uh so then um, I think Toronto came up with this concept that they called Robida Island where they buried Stefan Robida for the end of his career but I think that was more of an injury related thing but it's uh uh it's not it's a partial solution but it doesn't just solve there there's no way they're they're doing anything but starting the season with club bomb on long term injured reserve because they're already just about maxed out on salary cap David
0: These salary cap issues mm-hmm. um all of them are both hard to understand and hard yep. to explain nope. for instance we heard Ken Holland recently in a press conference talk about for 5 minutes about some issue around the cap mm-hmm. I think it was around mm-hmm. club bomb retaining yep. blah blah he made zero he made absolutely zero sense to me bruce and i listened to it i think twice and i mm-hmm. couldn't get grasp what he was maybe other people grasped it and i didn't that's a possibility but i he just it just I, was around and around it went and i just didn't get what he was trying to say or even what, like even the mechanical part of what he was saying in terms of the how the salary cap work he didn't he was unable to explain it at least so that i could grasp it
1: i got i got the gist of it but uh, he was talking about lti and he was he was going around in circles, and I actually got a little bit concerned when he couldn't subtract four point one from eighty one point five on the fly. Like, it's, but anyway, that was just under pressure of the moment, I guess.
0: But,
1: <laughs> yeah. The fact is that uh, they're now so close to the cap, and this Vogel uh, contract kind of hammers it shut that they're going to be uh, going to be placing Oscar on LTI before uh, the season even starts and that will hamper their flexibility throughout the season as we saw last season.
0: So Fogel there's a non-zero chance like there's a there's a decent chance at least it's, there's a it's almost 100% at some point he's going to be playing with McDavid and Drysdale next year if he, if Yamamoto or Puljujarvi or whoever um, doesn't work out there or Hyman in theory like it, you know someone gets hurt this guy could be a top line winger he'd be the first guy that gets the call I'm guessing. Um, so he's he's going to be a, a big player on the uh, Oilers. He's not core twelve, Bruce. He's right. not a center, but right. if he moves up to the one of the top lines, he is core twelve. Right. I mean, his his scoring is better than Puliyarvi's was mm-hmm. better than Puliyarvi's last year, better than Yamamoto's last year. I mean, he could easily be playing ahead of one of the, those two players on the top line. Is the truth. So I mean, we we all are talking about him now as a third liner. He he might not see that, and right. and he might not be that. So. Um, he's he's paid below the NHL average salary, um of three point one, I think whatever it is now. So um all right, Bruce, let's let's talk about the trade itself. Um we did talk about it the day of right. You know, I'm I'm personally um good with the trade. Mm-hmm. Um the oilers have you have a surplus of defensemen. Um you, even though you don't have enough really good defensemen. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have a surplus of young defensemen,
1: yep.
0: and below Jones and Bear are this are a group of young players bubbling up. And I, I think the prudent thing to do in that in that situation is um, I, is to trade uh, Jones and Bear and, and bring in other talent and let the, let those young guys bubble up because it, you're in a situation where Jones and Bear may have peaked, may not have peaked. It's kind of iffy. You don't know, but there's undeniable and even greater potential in players like Bouchard and, and Broberg. And I, and I would argue Sam Marukov as well as, as opposed to Barron Jones. And I, not everyone's going to agree with that, but that's my opinion. So I, I the trade. I, it made sense in that regard. You got a surplus, you got a need.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Turn, either. turn your, turn your surplus in, you know, fill your need with your surplus. And I, I see that's what they did. The other reason I supported the trade was because of, I felt there was a lot of pressure on Ethan bear. That was my sense of uh, maybe it's just me. Be, like I'm in the public eye. You're in the public. Eye. I'm in the, I'm in the public eye in a political sense as well. Yeah. I have some understanding of what that's like and bear in a, in, in, he, in a much greater way, much more significant way uh, is in the public eye because of, because he's first nations and it came to a head this year and he became um, very prominent because of racist comments made against him.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, I just, I just, have a sense that as a hockey player that is a great weight to carry on your back being a representative of um your people being in the public eye like that mm-hmm. uh in, in in having negative comments thrown your way um even the all the attention the support about your identity puts a certain kind of pressure on you you're just not a hockey player you're more than that and it's a it's, it's a burden and i think um i Unless I'm reading his comments wrong, it seems like Ethan Barris saying the same thing in his parting comments. What did he say, Bruce?
1: Yeah, his comments were uh, were interesting, and uh, uh, he says everything always happens for a reason, and I think this is perfect timing. Everything I had to go through last year, it would have been pretty tough to push through it and battle all the adversity I would have had to deal with in Edmonton. Looking forward to a new step and a fresh start. And then he went on specifically to talk about the social media uh, aspect or, as I sometimes think of it, the anti-social media aspect. Online can be pretty hard. People shouldn't be saying that stuff, talking the way they do, but some just don't have anything better to do with their lives. Playing in Edmonton was pretty stressful. I'm going to hit the ground running and just have fun again. I honestly can't wait. I have a new energy. I want to make a good first impression a lot of that is the player, I think, turning the page, and you hear these—not those exact kind of comments—but you hear the type of comments when a player does get traded of, of him sort of opening, turning, literally turning the page to the next chapter and trying to trying to rationalize why it's better off for him and and going forward and so on. I mean, I don't know that he hated it in Edmonton. I think there was a lot of things he, that he. Uh, uh, that he really enjoyed about being here and being close to home and so on. And certainly my take on the uh, outrageous racist BS that came down just after the playoffs was the response from the community was very, very strong and very, very positive. And, and uh, uh, which, you know, I mean, it shouldn't have been necessary, but at least uh, at least the pushback... From a wide range of people, was, was very very good, but uh, it's uh, you know it's kind of it's kind of a moot point now, right? I mean he's uh, he's on his way and, and uh, 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 to a new team, and we have um, uh, we have to turn the page as well, I guess. And it's uh, at least as you say, he got traded for value, he got traded for need. And the other point you made, which I made also in my recent post, was that uh, uh, however many young defensemen the Oilers have, uh, whatever the limit is that they're that they're going to dress in the in the lineup at any given time, is less than all of them. They just had so many young defensemen, and both Holland and Tippett are big fans of uh, veteran defensemen. I'm going to kill this phone. Sorry, I thought I'd done that, uh, and so. You can think of the previous wave as being Bear, Jones, and William Laguson, who's still around, and you can think of the current upcoming wave as being Bouchard, Broberry, and Sam Samorakoff. and clearly the newer wave is younger. They don't have the you know the years of, of development that the other guys did, but they're coming from a way higher platform. I mean, two of them are first-round draft picks, uh, Samorkov was a third-round pick who, you know, exceeded quickly. Like, he, he was a, a great player before he left junior, as was Ethan Bear, to be fair. He uh, became a great player before he left junior. But uh, um, I think the, we won't be waiting until those guys are 24 and 25 years old and still going, well, what, what do we have here? We don't exactly know. <clears throat> so the way has been cleared for those guys to push into the lineup sooner. And
0: yeah i think one of Jones and Bear is likely to become a top four. I wouldn't say both of them like with Jones, I'd say it's like a you know thirty percent bet, twenty percent bet that he becomes a top four. with Bear, I'd say it's more of a coin flip like I think he's he he could go up or he could go down and that would be my guess like i I don't know like it's literally fifty fifty. listening, just hearing you read his comments, you could read his comments in terms of struggle last year. Not about um, just just about the hockey stuff alone that could just be hockey related his struggle on the team, you know, he was inconsistent last year he was up and down he he uh, was in and out of the lineup. Um, He was he he had different partners. You could see that, you know, things weren't hunky-dory completely with his coach, between him and his coach. And, mm-hmm. and that most of the struggle last year could have, could be related to that. So, And in terms of the other thing, I just think some people really thrive in, in terms of being a political person and a political figure and a, right. and a sim- symbol. And others don't. Mm -hmm. And my reading of Ethan Bear, just looking at the guy, like seeing him and and sensing his personality, I didn't really think that was his cup of tea. He just strikes me as a a great young guy and a a super hockey player. And now in Carolina, that's all he has to be. That's all he is. And I just think that's really great for him. I think that's probably the best thing for him. And he's just going to go there and be a hockey player. That's it. That's good. And I think it it increases his chances of of succeeding without that kind of pressure um, um, around him. Um Bruce you mentioned the the one guy who's left is Logason mm-hmm. from that from that earlier cohort. I wrote a right. post about the big boys bomb mm-hmm. and uh, it was a fun way of saying the orders got a lot a lot of big defensemen in in right. the pipeline. I, I counted 10 of them. And um I, I think the idea and I'm gathering this from things I've heard on the radio and just you know, social media and, you know, things from management is they want a lot of big guys. They want some big boys back there on the blue line. They want, you know, some six, three, six, four guys, you Mm -hmm. know, all of them, at least six, two, that kind of thing. And they don't have to be big Bobby clobbers. They don't have to rub you out all the time, but you got to be able to get in the way of the, the attacking, uh, forward, stop the cycle, get in the way of them. And you got to be able, you don't have to rush the puck like Paul coffee or even Darnell nurse. But you've got to be able to quickly pass the puck and hit Connor McDavid on the fly. So you know, retrieve the puck, make a quick move uh, to evade the forechecker, uh, and make a quick pass to either McDavid or to your defense partner to move that puck out of there. That's, I think, the the that's the prototypical defenseman that they're trying to get right now uh, on the Edmonton owners. and it's it's not asking. It's asking. Well, it's asking a lot because how many guys in the NHL are just that kind of player, right? They're very valued if you can find them. But the orders I think, are specifically looking for that player in the draft and actually have been for some tra- time. I think that uh, Craig McTavish started this trend when he drafted Darnell Nurse in 2013. McTavish was looking for bigger skilled players, and that was reflected in his first two draft picks in, in Nurse and Dreisaitl. In, in 2014, they drafted Logason. And uh, they took kind of a hiatus. They took a different kind of defenseman when Shirelli took over in 2015. They took three somewhat smaller puck movers in Marino Bear and uh, Caleb Jones. Not small guys, but they're not they're not these kind of defensemen that I'm talking about. <clears throat> right. But then Shirelli quickly went big, big, big. So he next year he drafts Nima Leinen and Philip Berglund, two big European players, and they're and Nima Leinen's huge, six six. The next year, it's uh, 2017. He drafts Samarukov and Kemp. Both of those are real big boys, and Samarukov can really skate. Um, the year after that, he he takes uh, Evan Bouchard, who's a big player, and Kesselring, who's really big. He's six five, and and his dad has told me that he's two fifteen now. He he, you read the hockey DB, it says he's two oh five. Elite players say he's two oh five. Those. His dad told me a year ago, he's 215. I don't know what he is now, but uh, he he is a big guy and getting bigger. Then they take, the year after that, they take Philip Broberry. And then they skip a year. They take all forwards because they have a deficit there. And then this year they come back to it. They take two big defensemen in the draft with their limited picks, Luca Munzenberger and Maximus oh. Maximus Wanner, Wanner. So, Bruce. I noticed they didn't guys. pick
1: his little brother, Minimus. <laughs>
0: Minimus got no love from the Oilers. He, the Tiger ate Minimus. Maximus killed the Tiger. Um, Bruce, what do you uh, what do you make of this trend? What do you think about it?
1: Well, it's trend. It's. I mean, I I saw somebody posted a graphic somewhere talking about how big were the top fours of the Stanley Cup finalists from the last two years, and uh, both teams were well. Tampa Bay was two of the four teams, of course, with their uh, with their big guys on the uh, on the back end, and uh, Montreal had four very large men as their big four, with Jeff Petrie basically being the smallest of them, and and uh, uh, you know uh, Ben Sherrod, Shea Weber, and Edmondson. Or, uh, Joel Edmondson. And uh, last year, uh, you know Dallas had guys like Heiskanen, Oleksiak, you know. Like, the average height and weight of the of the top four of the finalists was 6'3 and 215 or 220 or something. But in truth, it's been a trend forever. Yeah. People like big defensemen. I remember the Oilers of 1990 winning the Stanley Cup and Carrie uh, Neal talking about the six tall pine trees they had on defense, right? Guys like uh, Randy Gregg, Steve Smith, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Lowe, all guys that were you know six two, six three. Jeff Buka was on that team, and it's always been a pref- a preference, not a necessity, just a preference of coaches to have, uh, and not even necessarily every single defenseman. Obviously, there's room for for smaller guys. I mean, the Oilers just signed Tyson Barrie to a three year extension, and uh, they just traded for Duncan Keith, who's uh, you know not. Not a monster by any means, but uh, uh, you want to have at least some. Like if you have a defense that was shaping up, that the orders might have uh, have uh, four or even five defenders below 200 pounds playing on a yeah. game night. that's a small crew. I mean, you got Darnell Nurse, but even Darnell's not out on the ice for 60 minutes of a game, right? So that you you want to have uh, uh, some uh, some. Like, there's 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 just there's advantages for for uh, for reach, for leverage, for just for pure strength in puck battles, for protecting the net front. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons that uh, uh, size matters uh, and on the back end. And so finding at least a balance for that. And, uh, you know, if it becomes your driving thing, well, we, want, we only want to draft him if he's big. That would be a mistake. But if you have a choice between a big guy and a small guy and it's equal, I mean, that's... Otherwise, uh, then that might be uh, uh, a worthwhile uh, tiebreaker, let's call it that way.
0: The Oilers have 10 players in this kind of category, in this big boys' brigade. And the good thing is that uh, five are lefties and five are righties. So, um, you know, they they probably need about, well, if the Oilers are going to be a competitive team in the McDavid era, they're going to need replacement players who are cheap. A lot of these players are going to be coming along two, three years from now. And they they will be cheap. And if they can get if they can get two top four D men out of that group, and if they can get two more bottom pairing D men out of this group, this Oilers team will be really well served. And I don't think that's too much of an ask because of the talent of these players. I mean, uh, between Bouchard, Brobury and and Samarukov, I think that they should be able to get two top four D men. It'll be very disappointing if they don't. So, um, Bruce, Derek Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, we, last podcast we we did just as they were about to sign Ryan. What do you Mm -hmm. think of that signing? What's your?
1: Yeah, it was pretty strange. eh? I mean, Ken Holland was given this press conference and I think it was Daniel Nugent Bowman of The Athletic that asked him about, we hear you signed uh, uh, Derek Ryan because I guess he got a tip from, you know, his editor or something during the press conference and, and Holland was a little bit taken aback and he didn't know the status of the negotiations that it had been, you know, was a done deal. Like, I guess the offer was out there and they they accepted. So I thought it was a little strange that they went ahead and did the media avail before all the dust had settled and all their moves. So, but that said, uh, I'm not unhappy at all to have Derek Ryan. He checks a lot of boxes and the contract was pretty good, you know, two years at $1.25 million. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a, case okay, so it's close enough to that 1.125 we talked about earlier that if suddenly the wheels fall off and he can't play anymore they can you know they can they can uh, uh send him out with minimal expense of you know 125 thousand dollars it would cost him against the cap very cap so the not so much of a risk i mean he is 34 years old the bigger risk is you know can he help the team and and and, and he had an off season a little bit in 2021. He only scored two goals after being a you know a double digit scorer for I think four years in a row. Uh, the pucks weren't just weren't going in for him in Calgary, and I think his role was was diminished a little bit. Uh, but what he does do well is stuff Oilers really need. He's a right handed center, which uh, the only one they have is Ryan Strome. Uh, he's a right handed center who's very good in the face off circle, which really they haven't had for a long time. Uh, I guess maybe Boyd Gordon was the last one. Uh, he kills penalties uh, almost two minutes a night killing penalties, definitely in Calgary's top four all the years that he was there. Uh, and so he's got um, uh, a good background of scoring and a very unique career path. He's a very interesting player. You know, he spent four full years at the University of Alberta Golden Bears. I watched him play a bunch of games at Claire Drake Arena, and he was a hell of a player in college. But you you just said at that time, pick one player off this team that's going to be in the NHL. I, I'm not sure I would have just said, well, it's obviously Derek Ryan. Like, he, he just kept improving. He went to Europe for four years. He came back. He played one year in the AHL, and suddenly at 29 years old, he was a rookie in the national hockey league and he's gone on to play 345 games nhl games like a really quite a remarkable story and if you look at his statistical profile he kept on improving basically every year he either his totals went up in the league he was in or he moved on to a newer tougher league every year right up to age 33 and now he's so he's he's one of those very rare players that that demonstrably improves year after year well into his 30s. So hopefully he's got a little left.
0: Well, you know, his point scoring, like in terms of a total points, was not good last year. It doesn't look good. 13 points in 43 games doesn't blow you mm-hmm. away. But when you go by points per 60, Bruce, right. he's at 1.84 points per 60, That's which very good. Which it ranks 157th mm-hmm. out of 432 regular NHL forwards. His hundred and one point eight four points per sixty is tied with Nazem Kadri and Philip Deneau. Huh. So so um hey, that's not bad. And um there's not you know, there's miles on this player, but there's not tons of hard miles, I don't think. He's he's generally been okay in terms of health. He seems to stay healthy most seasons. In fact, he's been healthy. Um Pretty much all of these seasons, I think he might have been a healthy scratch sometimes in Calgary, if my memory serves. A few times he was on waivers. He got hurt. He, he broke a or finger. Didn't get hurt? Oh, he
1: missed
0: all it? the game He missed 13 games and
1: one goal with a broken finger. So that's okay, another reason go. his stats are down, and his ice time was cut a little bit. And I'm not sure if he was maybe playing hampered for a while or or what. But all the games he missed were due to due to a single injury.
0: His um, rate of even strength scoring last year, Bruce, was almost exactly the same as. Taylor Hall, and Milan Lucic. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Things are just weird. Uh, well, he's, he came in a little
1: cheaper than both of those guys. He sure did. For me, the, the the comparable that I'm happy with for uh, for Ryan, that, what we know here in Edmonton, is Mark Letestu, who was signed as a, a free agent, um, uh, got a three-year deal uh, from peter shirelli in the summer of 2015 he was a little bit younger he was turning 30 at that time but he was he had a uh quite a few things in common like a smaller right shot center killed penalties he also played power play which ryan has done in the past and and uh you know pretty good offensive pedigree but but played further down the lineup and uh covered a lot of bets while he was here he was he was uh uh, always strong on the face-off circle as well. Ryan's face-off, career face-off percentage over 55. That's top notch.
0: Yeah, Latestu was good until he wasn't. I mean, the, the wheels really fell off in 2017-18 with uh, Mark he had But he had been a good player the year before, so um, it, it worked until it didn't, which is often the case with, with hockey right. players in their 30s, right? It's, it's working, and then it's all of a sudden... It ain't working anymore. So hopefully Derek Ryan is is going to stay in that it's working category. I heard him on Oilers now. He certainly is well-spoken, thoughtful, yes. intelligent, yes. and sounded like he had an admirable character from uh, mm-hmm. from just listening to him um, in terms of having his head screwed on right.
1: Which, which also describes Mark
0: Letestu, by the way. He was a great interview. Isn't that the awesome. truth and had his head screwed on right as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Darnell Bruce, what do you – so the rumor this year was four years. I was kind of liking that um, eight years at nine million. Maybe that's what we're going to see. You know, I was hoping I was hoping he would. There be some. You know, Darnell, you got it. We can't. Uh, we have an internal salary cap structure on this team. We're playing Leon Dreisaitl, former MVP of the league, eight point five million a year. We can't go above that. Are you willing to accept that? And I was I was hoping he would buy that argument. Um, I'm I'm increasingly skeptical that's going to be the case when you see players like Zach Werenski and others um signing for nine million plus a year. Now that was an overpay, I think.
1: That's but no uh way. No, yeah, I'm a I fan just, of I'm a fan of Warinsky. I have him in my keeper league. I followed him pretty closely for a number of years. He is a good player, but I couldn't I was shocked to see the the price tag.
0: Well I and, think they have to pay, right? Mm-hmm. Columbus like it's like one of these cities like Edmonton, as we're starting mm-hmm. to hear now like Edmonton like Edmonton where you gotta overpay Columbus might be in that same boat.
1: Seth Jones, oh, he was at nine and a half. Uh, Dougie Hamilton, nine million. And if you're a Darnell Nurse's agent, you can point a couple of those contracts at, you know, how how much worse are you going to tell us Darnell is than these guys? And, you know, it's going to be a a tougher negotiation because of all these new nine million dollar, you know, they've just raised the bar on, uh, you know, good uh, mid-career defensemen. Has gone from you know the sevens to the nines just like that.
0: Whatever the contract is, the, the four-year deal actually really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then then if he for some reason gets injured or isn't doesn't you know keep improving or regresses, and it's just four years as opposed to eight. I, I would like I mean some some people might say well you want to make it as long as you can and tie this guy up. Well, if the Oilers are a winning team and he wants to stay after four years, then then he'll sign a new contract here. And I just think it covers you on that very risky long term. I mean, I I was listening to Ray Ferraro's podcast and he said on these, he was talking about seven years, seven year Mm -hmm. deals. And Ferraro's comment was, I mean, who has seven good years in a row? Nobody. You know, there's exceptions to that. But his point was like he scored 40 goals twice in his career. But those were peak years. And the other years he wasn't that player. So Darnell Nurse just had a pretty good scoring year, and yeah. but he can easily not have that kind of scoring year um, going forward. So I would prefer four, five, six years as opposed to eight. But I'm not going to squawk. I mean, he, he'll only be 34 at the end of an eight-year deal, I believe. So uh, 34, 35. So it's not crazy, towns if he gets if if they go eight years. And um, what do you think?
1: Well, the four years set the stage for potentially uh, a nervous summer of 2025, with both McDavid and Nurse uh, angling for renegotiations at the end of that season. But uh, uh, the idea, at one level, it makes sense that this is our window; we're going for it now. Sign here, Darnell, and and uh, and then you know you'll still just be what 31 in the summer of uh, of. Uh, 2026, pardon me, because he's still got a year to go and four years on top of that. And McDavid's got five years to go, so it's a five-year window.
0: Yeah. Then he can sign his Seabrook contract. That's when yeah. Seabrook signed. He was 31, I think, when he signed that eight-year, new eight-year deal with Chicago that uh, the Blackhawks certainly lived to regret.
1: They just traded it for, uh, for Tyler Johnson, Chicago did, traded Seabrook to Tampa Bay, and they Endless, bottomless pit, long-term injured reserve fund.
0: They'll figure out a way to get the most out of that, I'm sure, in Tampa. Yeah, they sure will. Scammers they also, they
1: they also signed uh, Corey Perry, two times one million. I saw that. They signed uh, Eric Bogosian three times uh, 833000 You rarely see a three-year deal at such a low price for a proven player. And they found they signed Alex uh, Boulet Barrette, Barrette, yeah, the hyphenated guy. Uh, Three years at NHL minimum, all three years at NHL minimum. How often you see a three-year contract at NHL minimum? And he's a guy they signed out a junior that was a great score and junior was too small so in other words he's the next tyler johnson the next yanni gore that they just moved on from after getting many years of great service from each guy and now they've got uh uh, the uh uh, another young fellow all lined up on the absolute bargainist of bargain contracts for three years and man do they uh do they know what they're doing down there in Tampa? Anyway, let's move on. That's my little Tampa riff for today. I'm jealous.
0: <laughs> there can only be one Tampa Bay. Um, Bruce. Uh, let me see. We had um NHL commentators rating the Oilers. Um, deadline day stuff. Mm-hmm. All right you know, the free agency period, essentially. And can, some people like the Hyman signing. Um, there was a few people who liked the orders overall. Uh, and I didn't, Sports Logique came up with an article on Sportsnet, um, and they actually had orders as one of the winners. And Sports Logique mm-hmm. is an analytics group. That was interesting, and I didn't have that in my post earlier this week on this. Most of the people that I quoted were negative on, generally speaking, on on what the Oilers had done. And I'll just read you, uh, we'll just, for for example, Matt Larkin um, of the Hockey News, and he had this to say about all of the Oilers' moves. I just don't understand. What are they doing? I'll put the Zach Hyman deal aside. I'm willing to defend it. I think he's going to actually be very helpful in the short term. You have to give him that term and money because it's competitive to sign him. I think he'll be a really nice fit playing with McDavid. I think that the move, that move is totally fine, but bringing in guys like Cody Cece and with term, I just don't understand what this team is doing. You're bringing Duncan Keith, you lose Adam Larson, you trade away Caleb Jones, you trade away Ethan Bear. You've also re signed Mike Smith into his 40s now for multiple seasons. I just can't condone the decisions overall of this team. I don't know if this team is better. I don't believe that, but I could be wrong. So I think that kind of sums up the general mood of the outside experts mm-hmm. on the Oilers. That those comments were were fairly typical. In the end, we're, we're and we're closer to the end than we are to the beginning of Ooh. this free agents. There might be there might be one big move, like for a goal, like they might figure out a way to bring in a goalie. But other than that, they're just going to have little moves. What do you think in the end, Bruce? Uh, f- Would you say the Oilers were a winner or a loser? In this free agency period
1: yeah well I mean the Adam Larson thing I mean if you want to blame the audience for losing Adam Larson and there are people that are that are doing that um, then uh, uh, if you consider him part of the picture then to me certainly CC for Larson is a downgrade uh, a little bit lower money a little bit lower money you know uh, so expectations should be a little lower to me they're Paying CC as a four or five, and uh, the sooner he's a five, the better in some ways. You know, like if he's on your third pairing, you're probably not in that bad of shape. But if he's on your top four, you know, you're pushing uh, a little harder. But I think the idea is he's a placeholder a little bit for uh, Evan Bouchard. And uh, what sooner Bouchard pushes into the top four, you know, and, and justifiably so, uh, the better for, for everyone. Uh, if you want to blame the Oilers though, for blowing the Adam Larson negotiations um, uh, then that puts them more in the camp of loser for sure what they've certainly done is changed the the face and the look of the team, I mean those were pretty significant moves There's five guys they signed or traded for on, uh, on Wednesday, and one that was a returnee in Tyson Berry and that, I mean, we talked about probably more in the couple podcasts that Larson was the preferred retained guy over Barry, and I held out hopes that Seattle might do with Barry what they ultimately did with Larson, which was sign him during the free agent window. But that's that's not how it worked out. And it kind of started this other cascade of, well, we brought back this small defenseman, we got to move on from from another one. And they, they really reworked their defense, you know, Jones... Uh, Bear uh, Larson, all out, and Keith and um, Cece in. I, th- I think they still may sign another defenseman. Um, they definitely have uh, upgraded up front. Uh, Hyman's a, uh, a better player for the top six than any other options that, that they had in house, and Fogel is a really good solution for improving the bottom six, which desperately needed improvement after getting waxed uh, last year to the tune of 35% goal share. I mean, fixing the bottom six is a is a priority. And I guess one way to look at it is you can say, well, they brought in Derek Bryan, Warren Fogel, Zach Hyman. Let's flip Zach Hyman to his natural right wing and just say they're a forward line. How would that how would they do as a forward line would they outscore their opposition would they you know improve Everton's chances of winning a you know a, sort of a, a, a hypothetical game situation are they are they going to help you win games and i i think yes and i think you know that they would perform well as a line they will be split up onto at least two if not three different lines but there those those players are going to help up front and the concern for me is a back end Duncan Keith is a massive gamble, and not um, not free agent related, but certainly off season related. That was the you know the first move that sort of triggered the the avalanche was bringing him in, and Keith like there are, there are some folks that have written the guy off. Um, he was in a kind of a tough circumstance in Chicago though. Where he was playing, uh, they really had one decent right-hand defenseman in Connor Murphy, and he didn't play a lot with Murphy. He played a lot with younger guys and uh, a lot of top four minutes. So, uh, my friend Darcy McLeod Wood guy, he does a he does very occasionally he writes blog posts for his post Wood blog, and he did a really deep dive into Duncan Keith's uh, um, situation in Chicago, who he played with, who he played, you know, caliber. Of t- Player he played against and so on, and his conclusion was a lot more positive than uh, if you just sort of looked at the numbers and say, here's a here's a 38 year old guy that's fallen off the cliff and is, you know heading for heading for a hard landing, uh, and his takeaway was that no, he's he's a better player. At least my read of his takeaway was he's a better player than than. Uh, uh, than some have included. It's a huge gamble. But uh, Keith brings things that uh, are certainly going to change the look of the team. Ideally, he would have been paired with Adam Larson. Secondary choice, he would have been paired with Ethan Bear. Well, neither of those things are going to happen. He's probably going to wind up with CeCe. And we will CeCe. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, um. We'll see with Duncan Keith. I mean, we've Mm -hmm. talked about this a lot. I think most people commenting on him haven't seen him play last year. And and until I see him play, I'm not going to hazard a guess. Uh, Bruce, they they headed into free agency with a lot of money. They had a lot of money to solve problems. They had a big need. They had a need at, um, well, their top, they needed two left-wingers, essentially, um, with Nugent Hopkins unsigned. And they needed a third-line center. And I think they needed a goalie. I think they needed yeah. to, to bring in a goalie. So they, those were the needs heading into free agency, and then um, uh, whether I don't really care who's to blame for Larson or leaving or not, it's, he just laughed. Right. Yeah, that's the He's fact gone. of the matter. So yep. I'm just like, objectively, are they better or worse? Yeah, that makes them a whole lot. So then they had this huge need on uh, right defense. Absolutely, it suddenly became. Um, almost their biggest need, probably their biggest need, you know, because they'd already locked down Hyman by then. So it became their biggest need. And and um, so obviously they filled the left-wing spot. And I think they fer- – I don't like the eight-year term of either of those uh, contracts for Hyman or Nuge, but they, the cap hits are, are lower than um, – be- because the term's longer, the cap hits were lower, and that's the trade they made. And, and I also get the idea of winning now. So you, so you make these – maybe not great long-term bets in order to win now. So I think that's, I, I understand the thinking, and I, in the end, I approve of both of those deals more than I disapprove of them. So that's a win. The goalie thing, this is not a win. And they have yet to resolve the Koskinen thing. And and from listening to Mark Spector on orders now, it sounded like almost like they got to move Koskinen because he's no longer accepted on his team. Like, like they got to move him out because the players don't trust him anymore in net and there's this problem and it's started to feel like this Milan Lucic thing where you just gotta move the guy because it's just you, you gotta nope. move him. You no just matter gotta what. You gotta go. Yeah. So that was kind of a I didn't like the sound of that because Koskinen actually was a pretty good goalie two years ago. He had a 9 nine seventeen save percentage, top half of NHL starters. He wasn't he was not good last year overall, but he was good in stretches. And I just mm-hmm. I thought for like your one B goalie who plays mm-hmm. thirty five games, let's say or you know, the, I don't, that doesn't strike me in the category of you must move this guy out category. Mm-hmm. I do think they need to improve that position and they that should have been one of, that should be one of the goals. So they, to me, that's a fail. And then the way they filled in for Larson, I'm going to assume it's the best they could have done under the circumstances in a scramble mode. Like, you, you know, you're the quarterback, it's broken down, you're scrambling for your life and you throw a, a Hail Mary pass. And And one time out of five, one time out of three, one time out of five, you get the the, the big play. And, and then the other times you're sacked and you're maybe even concussed. So this is this is the this is what's just happened here is Ken Holland's been running around the backfield, you know, trying to pick out a receiver and tossing the ball into the air and praying. and And you know the solution that he came up with, you know it's it's Barry's not a terrible hockey player. He's an NHL hockey player and a great puck mover. And a weak defender. So, and then Cece, I can't comment on like he, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I haven't seen him play. I don't think he's from what what it sounds like. The best is maybe he'll hang in there in the top four for maybe this year, maybe. Um, so, I don't think that was a success. What happened with Larson and then the way they solved the problem? I don't. It was a tough one. That was a real hard one, but I don't think it was a success. So, overall. Um, I do think they will be a better team next year because of internal improvement of young players stepping up and getting better and in, in, in considerable improvement on the wing with uh, Hyman and Fogel helping out quite a bit, yes. I think. And Yamamoto and Pugliarvi getting better and Derek Ryan playing um, st- stronger hockey than we've gotten from Kara and other people who have been Turis. filling that role, tourists mm-hmm. in the last few years. So I, I think overall the team's going to be better, mm-hmm. but I I think where the orders a loser of one of the worst teams at the deadline in the NHL. I don't buy that. I don't believe that. But did the did the moves that had just happened in the last month make the improve the team? Well, and compared to having all that cap space that they had to spend, um, I'm going to say no. That's mm-hmm. a, it's a little. It's a, I'm somewhat disappointed overall mm. with how it turned out I'm not terribly disappointed but I'm a little bit that's where I'm left
1: yeah the cop space that sure went in a hurry didn't it so it did. this this is where uh, uh to me the the Keith trade uh just leaving Keith himself out of it but just the exchange of the money situation there that was a huge huge gamble by Holland and his inability to get Chicago to either retain or to take back Hoskinen which was the original offer apparently and just take on all of the all of the cap hit uh, that took a huge bite out of his budget before he even started and then you know, by the time he got done signing all these other guys, Hyman seven-year deal, by the way, not eight. That was uh, Kyle Dubas throwing a monkey wrench into things. But uh, uh, they, you know, by the time they got Hyman, uh, you know, yeah, that's Hyman, a lot. Yeah, that's seven. a lot of that's a lot of money contracts. You know, it's uh, five and a half for Keith. It's it's five and a half for Hyman. It's uh, uh, three and a quarter for Cece. It's two and three quarters for um, Fogel. You know that's uh that's a lot of dough being uh uh being spent that's 17 million right there and that was basically the budget even with the buyout of james neal they don't have a lot of room to move so they're they're left with the goalies they had unless they can work out some kind of trade and then uh, there's uh been chatter about that
0: that's uh we'll get to that yeah yeah <laughs> I didn't like that CC contract at mm-hmm. all. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for the caliber of defenseman that people talk about him being, like that was an mm-hmm. overpay in, term, in terms of both term and salary, it seemed like. And maybe, that, you know, the, one, of the, one of the things that we all have to consider in thinking about the Edmonton Oilers, thinking about the NHL is, like we know this in the NBA now, the players are the GMs. The star players run that league. And with their agents and they they figure out, well, I'm going to play with you and you're going to play like we're going to and we're going to recruit him and we're going to put together this super team. That's the NBA right now. We don't have that in our heads about the NHL yet because it's not quite there yet. But I think it it is on it is kind of the reality. This is this is a league where the agents have the power and um, they decide where who's going to get who. And which team is going to go up and which team is going to go down. And, they, and the GMs are trying to persuade them and doing what they can. And, but really, it's the agents who, who hold the cards and, and the power. And, you know, so the Oilers, you know, and, and my point on this is when you're judging how Holland did, you have to try to figure out what exactly were his options. They might have had a list of 15 players um, for right D to fill in for Adam Larson. But if this top eight guys on that list, there's just no way they're coming here. Right, it's just not happening. Which was the case. This is well, you know, it's been widely discussed now, Dougie, he's just not coming here. So people say, well, they should have spent. Yeah, up with Cece got and yeah, up with Barry got and you could have got Dougie Hamilton. It's, it's it was not going to happen. This player just wasn't interested in in, in Canada or Edmonton. <clears throat> That's so, so, what I would suggest to, you, to as we all of us, me and you and every other fan. If you're not taking that into consideration, if you're just brushing that aside and saying, "Oh, that's BS, that's apology for the team, that's that's letting that's letting them off the hook and carrying water," no, I think actually, if you don't take that if you don't take that as one of the important variables in this, then your, your your analysis is missing a huge piece. It's stupid analysis essentially. Like it's a huge factor in how the NHL is run right now. These agents have power; they decide players don't want to go places. It's it's not this unlimited field uh for ken hollander recruit, recruit players it's a very small field and that's how you end up i think with the cody cc contract Speak, yeah, but that's not to you off gm off the hook completely though because they can make mistakes go ahead bruce sorry
1: yeah i was just going to say you have the g um the agent uh, J.P. Barry, the agent of both Adam Larson and Oscar Kleffbaum, who also happens to be the agent of Cody Ceci, saying, "Well, now that you have a big hole in right defense for the next four years, boy, do I have a solution for you?" And it's you know, and, and he wants to play. He's happy playing in Canada. He played in Ottawa and Toronto, and he's happy to play wherever. So you know, they then whether they paid a premium for. I mean, he made more than that in both ottawa and toronto he was up in the four or four or and a half million dollar range and he had a a correction last year he went to pittsburgh on a one-year 1.2 million dollar contract had an excellent year and it paid off for him and he got um you know he got back in the moderate uh, price zone of defense but he did have a good year though like he was a he was an outscorer and he had pretty good points. I think he had a lot of second assists and I think he definitely got a bump from the percentages and I think he also had more sort of third pairing class competition in Pittsburgh than he's probably going to see in Edmonton. So some of those chickens will come home to roost.
0: Yeah, the contract worry, like the, you know, the whole again I I'm not I can't rate the player I haven't seen him play, but he just has the feel of like we've had a lot of veteran defensemen come in at that amount, like Fane and Ferentz and McKean was a little bit more, but a lot of them have come in and not really worked out. So I'm just fingers crossed. It's, it's going to work out better this time. But again, to me, it's one of those 50, 50 bets, not at like, not that 80, 20 bet that you'd like to make, but maybe the 80, 20, like when you're scrambling, when you're that quarterback, you don't have the 80, 20 percentage play. You're, you're going for something Mm -hmm. a little bit more desperate. Uh, And speaking of desperation, Bruce, there was a rumor here, like of all the rumors that I, I, I was a little upset of the Duncan Keith stuff and and sad about the Adam Larson thing, like frustrated mm-hmm. and sad about yep. what happened there. Although Larson was free to move and I completely wish him well in the other city that he's gone to, which I don't will not name. Um, the rumor that I don't like, that I've liked the least of any rumor that I've heard, uh, is this one that came out yesterday, and I think Frank Saravalli started it with. The idea was they're going to trade Mikko Koskinen in his $4.5 million per year contract uh, with one year left to Columbus for Eunice Corposalo. I think he's got it. What is his contract? One year at two, two point two,
1: two point
0: two eight eight. So yeah. there's one point seven million dollars different. So you trade these two goalies Koskinen's 33, 34, Korpisalo's what, 26, 27. Yep. Considerable difference in age there. Mm-hmm. uh but the the, the Oilers to get Corpusalo would have to throw in a first pick and or wasn't exactly and. clear and Dmitry Samarukov and when i heard that my it was just like god this can't be true like tell me this isn't true mm-hmm. this isn't happening this can't be happening because just a quick look at the stats Corpusalo's stats are are worse than Kostokin's stats for the last two years. Mm -hmm. He is not statistically a better goalie. And I can see trading this kind of stuff. Koskinen. It's a salary dump when Edmonton moves him. You're going to have to give up something. I can see that if you're going to get a better goalie, if you're going to get, uh, what's the guy from Arizona, Darcy Kemper. Right. I wouldn't like, I I don't want to see Samarukov go. I like the player a lot, but I could see trading the first pick in Koskinen for, uh, for Kemper. That would be okay. You're getting a better goalie. Probably. But for Corpasalo, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh man, Bruce, it made my head hurt. And then, so finally, Ryan Rashog at the end, like people were venting, including me, all day on uh, on social media about this. And, and Ryan Rashog of TSN finally ended it a little bit and calmed everybody down somewhat. He said, "Quote: Corpasalo for Koskinen and a high pick or prospect is not something the organization is considering at the moment." Mm-hmm. Have a great long weekend, everyone. And so that I was relieved to, to read, even though there was the at the moment in there, I was relieved to, I was relieved to hear Ryan say that. Maybe they just saw the blowback and thought, oh geez, and and had a second look at this. Bruce, what was your reaction?
1: Uh, about the rumors, I, I yeah. just about made my head explode. That the, <laughs> you know, I mean Sarah Valley's a credible source. Uh, and we have the recent example of the Duncan Keith rumors where we were sort of going, well, they'd never do that. Surely they'd make them retain or they'd take something back or they'd send us some assets or something. And none of that stuff happened. And in fact, the worst um, fears of a, of a Keith trade came to be that the Oilers gave and gave and gave and took the whole contract back. So, you know, when you when you when you have that in the sort of recent uh, memory banks. uh it makes it tougher to take, but uh, uh, I mean, Allo, uh his his uh, last he had a good rookie year with a 9.20 save percentage, and then since then, 9.05, 8.97, 8.97, 9.11, 8.94. Like that's not even average NHL goalie. That's you know, I mean,
0: well above me average. The
1: 900 save percentage that is the Mendoza line of hockey. If yeah, you're below that. You, you know, you're just not getting her done. And I I just cited their stats side by side. Like Koskinen had better goals against, better save percentage, better one-loss record. And I got some pushback from people saying, I mean, if you're looking at their stats and not the actual players playing different teams and different this is the NHL. There's a sort of a, a, a standard of play for, I mean, sure, they didn't have any common opponents, any of that stuff but I don't buy for a minute that Columbus was a complete tire fire, whereas Edmonton is somehow this above average team or something that, that that the the platforms are that different. They're playing against NHL competition and neither of them had a good year, but you know, Corpus Allo has been below that 900 mark three out of the last four years. Why are you targeting that for at all? Let alone, why are you targeting that? And, And so as I understood it, Sarah Valley said that was basically the ask from Columbus, and that's, it just remains an ask. And, I mean, the big difference okay. from that being an ask from Columbus as opposed to that being an offer from Edmonton, there's an enormous difference between those two things. But it got out there on social media, and, of course, immediately became, why would Holland be offering that? What an idiot. He's got to be the worst ever. And, you know, and away they went. And uh, just turned into this huge, I, I, I literally just, when it started, I just, turned off my phone and walked away from for several hours i just i don't even want to <sighs> yeah. get it i don't even want to go here just... i did you know
0: what i didn't i'm was thinking. <laughs> Am I gonna write about this like you know we write i write about the rumors you write about we sometimes write about these and i just thought no uh-huh. i i just i'm tired i'm mm-hmm. not writing about this no. i just hope it goes away i was thinking I was trying to think of all the time Frank Sarah's always been wrong, and I thought, okay, well, just two weeks ago he rumored about Dougie Hamilton maybe coming to the Orders, right? He he wrote a speculative piece and said that was a possibility. So I was thinking, okay, maybe this is like that. Maybe this is just him trying to piece the other things. But it's I don't know. There was enough out there that there was seems like this was, was being talked about. Now listen, if they trade if you traded Corpusala for Koskinen straight up, that would be a good deal for the Orders because they're similar goalies and they're similar enough that, that would be okay. It would actually the orders I think have to if they're going to trade for Koskinen for Corpusello they must add a sweetener. So the idea that the Edmonton has because he gets paid a million seven more, but you know um, Patrick Barlow was sent to the Toronto Maple Leafs earning six point two million is if I recall correctly, and that cost a point uh, two million in cap it cost a first round pick. This is one point seven million dollars difference in their the contract. It shouldn't cost a first. Yeah. And, and for a, a player on one year, yeah, one year, cap hit, shouldn't cost, it should not cost a first pick and More. or Dimitri Samarkov. That's that's where this just like, so what should it cost, $1.7 million? Let's say they're they're, they're valued about the same or cost, Corpus is valued a little higher because he's younger. What, sh, what would then be a reasonable sweetener? It would be an interesting question. Maybe a third-round pick, maybe a second-round pick. But a first and a prospect like Samarukov, like, forget it. Like, anyway, that's the ask. It's not, it's not, I got to, it's just the ask.
1: Corpozalo had one good season in 1920 where he was 9-11. He had 60% quality starts, which is good. Uh, which is a number where he's actually been very poor 41 38 and 42 percent quality starts in the other three years lately but he he had a strong playoffs where he beat toronto in a high profile series and a couple of games were shutouts there was overtimes you know there was uh uh, and then uh uh, eventually they lost out in the in the second round uh, of the playoffs but he did you know he had a decent run in the playoffs but I would take four years of data over two playoff series worth of data, 10 days out of 10. And he's, uh, to me, averages would be kind.
0: Yeah, and I don't know what else is out there now. Maybe, like, I, someone was rumoring that Anton Huboden mm-hmm. from Dallas might be available. They got Bishop, and they brought in another goalie, did they not, in Dallas? I'm just trying to think. Uh, I think they brought in another goalie. Uh, Holtby? Um, did they bring in so, Holtby. At least so. So so there's there's anyway, someone was talking about Huboden being available. Now, you know, so, so again, I'm not the orders against the orders paying a big price to bring in a goalie, like in, including the first pick, including Samarukov, like if that's what it takes. Make sure though, this is a you know, this is definitely an upgrade. Because if it's not, what are you doing? So Maybe we all got our noses out of joint for nothing is the truth. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, we, our hair goes on fire pretty quickly <laughs> and easily here, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, the dynamic of the Oilers yeah. fan base, especially on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just some people who have the knife sharp and, and anything they're, they're wanting to stick that knife in as deep as they can. But, you know, that got everybody going. I think pretty much there wasn't. Some people remain calm in the face of that rumor. I was not one of them. Mm-hmm. Let me just see. Holtby.
1: Yeah, no, it's just they've just got Hudobin and Jake Ottinger currently listed on their roster, at least as per. Uh, uh, oh, next sorry. I
0: got the wrong no, they signed Holtby, I think.
1: Let me see. Yeah, no. Dallas Stars. Yeah. They got Holtby and Hudobin and Ottinger.
0: And Bishop, because Bishop hasn't gone anywhere.
1: Oh, okay, and I thought...
0: As he, uh, I'm just reading a blog post. The Dallas Stars do not expect Ben Bishop to play for them again, at least not for the upcoming regular season. If they did, it would be hard to justify bringing in a fourth goaltender in addition to Bishop, Anton Huboden, and Jake Ottinger. What does Bishop earn? Probably way too much.
1: Big, big um, money, but he's been he's been fighting injuries the whole time.
0: He yeah, so all Ottinger year. is a good young goalie. Um, I, I'm I bet you they're looking at Ottinger and Bishop, uh, Ottinger and Holtby. Is like, why do you bring in Holtby if you think Huboden's going to play? Because you have Ottinger, uh, who was okay. Anyway, so the, I don't know if if you could work out something there. Like, would you trade Koskinen and a first for Hoboden, for instance? Um, Now, Holland has said he won't do a one-year rental. I don't think Hoboden's actually on a one-year
1: rental. I think he's got two more years.
0: So, so I'm just speaking off the top of my head. You know, we're making up stuff now on the fly, which which is when we get in trouble, Bruce. Uh, But, (laughs) does that make sense? It it makes... just off the top of my head, it makes more sense than the um, other deal we were talking about. So anyway, we'll see what the orders do there. I, it, I wonder if they will solve this goalie thing. You know, it's been suggested Bob Stoffer and Orders now has, has said several times, maybe you just go into the season with these goalies. And right. This is the point I wanted to make. Let's say let's say the reason you're trying to make this this trade is you got to move Koskinen because it's just not working out. He wants out the team's lost confidence in his glove hand. Mark Spector suggested on Oilers Now, um, it's time for him to go. Here's here's maybe what you do though, if you can't get a decent deal that makes sense, is you go to your team leaders, you call them together, Duncan Keith and McDavid and all these other guys, and you say, listen, you know we're not we can't give away the farm in order just to move. Up. He's struggling. We know this guy's struggling. You know that we. But so here's what we're gonna do. We have Alex Stalock under contract. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's going to be our backup. He's he's Plan A. He and Mike Smith are Plan A, and Koskinen uh, has to fight to to get ahead of them. Right. That may happen, and if that does, we expect full we expect full support from from our leadership group with this player until we're able to. And maybe, and maybe he'll surprise you. He has played well in the past, and if he doesn't, and if Staylock doesn't, then we are definitely that's. Item number one this year through the year is we have a first pick that we are willing to move in order to get a goalie this year. And that's what we're going to be trying to do all year long um, if these other two goalies don't work. Can you live with that? And, you know, I think the answer should be yes. That that should be the plan rather than making, you know, the kind of trade that was suggested, whether it has the air of reality or not with Corpus Allo.
1: Well maybe Corpusello trains with uh McDavid <laughs> nurse, uh, Fogel, Hyman, Shore, all those fellows that like Gary Roberts uh, um,
0: boot camp well, can, there. Can, can Koskinen, <laughs> could Koskinen get an invite maybe? Or is he like a, <laughs> a, is he a sneech without, you know, like <laughs> Yeah.
1: Anyway uh, <clears throat> makes me wonder, it is a, that that was an interesting um little snippet the Oilers let out there about all those guys training together and it it uh, it raised some questions, but you know, my take was that uh, you're better off bringing in McDavid's friends and going out and trading for his mortal enemy like uh, Pete did, so <laughs> there's some logic to it. Anyway.
0: Uh, <clears throat> I didn't mind. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about something else. Just trying to just I'll get the one final piece of information here. Any final thoughts, Bruce? I, yeah, Anton yeah, contract. Ben
1: Bishop never moved from Dallas. I thought I'd seen him moving around, but he's been there and he missed the entire playoffs in 2020 when they went to Stanley Cup Finals, and then he never played at all last year. And uh, he sounds like he's in the Anton or sorry the Oscar Clefbaum mode of of you know being out indefinitely. So. Uh, Mudovin's a nice guy, but old older goalie, and he's got term. So,
0: Two years know, at $3.3 3 Bruce. Right. That's
1: um, not terrible.
0: That's, not, that's terrible. not terrible. He has a uh, no-trade clause. Player submits a four-team no-trade list. So um, Buffalo, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and uh, no. Columbus. Like no. all the teams that need a goalie, maybe. <laughs> all the teams that need a goalie that he doesn't want to go to. Hey, maybe he could be persuaded to come here. This, you never know because it's not like Edmonton is a team. There's no, there are some benefits of playing in Edmonton. You get to play with Connor McDavid and Dry and on, on a pretty good team here. And um, so anyway, we'll see what happens on the goalie front. We shall see, Bruce. All right, uh, it's final a
1: major outstanding issue right now. I mean, they, yeah. they they dealt with what for better or worse. They dealt with issues elsewhere on the roster, and the goalie situation just remains unchanged. The only thing they did there was bring back Mike Smith. So they basically, you know, they brought back last year's starter. They still have last year's backup. They still have the the black box mystery that is Alex Daylock, and three guys pushing from below. That if you went out and signed a, another goalie for for term then that blocks the path for any of those guys. So I realize goaltending is a different equation than any other position, but uh, if you're a Stuart Skinner and you've already been a pro for three years and you're facing a fourth year in the the farm and all of a sudden you're looking up at two goalies that have multi-year contracts up there and you're starting to think, well, where do I fit? So playing out the Koskinen card, as the backup, with Staylock as the backup backup, it's not a completely untenable solution unless the players have utterly lost confidence in Koskinen, and even that can change. You know, the guy comes back, he gets hot, and, you know.
0: Yeah. And they have Staylock, right? Like, they got in this other NHL goalie. He he missed all of last year, though, and he's not mm-hmm. young. He's 30, no. 33, 34. None of
1: them is young.
0: None Koskinen, of them are young.
1: Koskinen is 33, and he's the youngest of the three. So The pup. Mm -hmm.
0: Alrighty. Well, Bruce, why don't we leave it there? Sure. Good. Thanks for talking.
1: All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.
1: I hope Ethan Bear crushes it in Carolina. Me too.